to the extent that people seek solace in the museum or take inspiration from these objects that in many cases are survivors of previous pandemics and worse uh, over the history of the world, that does give one hope that it will not always be like this. That's Brent Benjamin, director of St. Louis Art Museum. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Brent Benjamin started this job back in 1999. This is the only museum he's ever led, and he announced recently he's going to retire next year, sometime during the summer. He's done a lot while he's been here. Under his tenure, the museum raised uh, the most amount of money in a capital campaign that any St. Louis arts organization had ever raised. That's $160 million. And it paid for a major expansion to the building, which was built for the 1904 World's Fair. So it had room for some more amenities, uh, more exhibition space, bathrooms, gift shop, parking garage, all that kind of stuff. You can find on the St. Louis Public Radio website a conversation we had about diversity, equity, and inclusion issues at the museum. And that's something that we'll continue to report upon. This episode of Cut and Paste comes from other parts of the long conversation we had. We talked about this, that, and the other. You know, uh, the past, his time behind the wheel at SLAM, and the future, particularly how our museum is going to make it through this pandemic. Brent Benjamin had never been to St. Louis when he showed up to interview for the job 21 years ago. Um, so obviously he had never seen the museum before. I asked him what his first impressions of the place were. Well, I think this is a fantastic place. And if I didn't, I wouldn't have been here for 22, what will be 22 years by the time I retire next year. Um, It has consistently exceeded my expectations. Um, I think it's an extraordinary uh, organization. I think it's amazing that an organization of this size and this footprint and this quality is in a city of our current population. Uh, because it is a museum that uh, far surpasses uh, similar organizations in much larger uh, cities um, today. And that is in part due, of course, to the fact that we've been around for a while. The museum was founded in 1879, uh, but also due to incredible and generous support uh, from uh, taxpayers Uh, initially in the city and then in the city and the county that started for the art museum in 1909, so more than a century, Um, and generations of donors who have, in addition to um, supporting them financially, have created a really extraordinary collection um, of works of art that is comprehensive, that covers virtually every culture that uh, made great art through the history of the world and across geography and time, Uh, The only area where we're weak is in South and Southeast Asian art. So India, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, and that region. And that's just has to do in part, uh, I think, with the interests and tastes of the collectors uh, who formed this collection. Brent, you came here from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, which is a very well-funded organization and a, a much beloved organization in that city. How does the situation change for you coming to an organization that has a place in the specific place in the city that SLAM has, um, both geographically and the fact that it is supported with tax monies? Well, I would say that each 
major art museum in each American city, well, in any city across, uh, certainly in the West at least, um, has a very specific kind of relationship with the community that it's in. And largely that's because in America at least, uh, these collections are the creation of citizens, right? They are not, with the exception of the National Museums in Washington, they are not the creations of governments, right? They are not the legacy of some aristocratic or royal uh, you know, a family, a ruling family, or anything like that. Um, they are things that have been pulled together for the education and delight uh, of the citizens. And, um, and the people who founded great American art museums in the 1870s in, you know, Boston and New York and Philadelphia and Cincinnati and here, Chicago, um, really felt that imperative strongly that, um, I think not only that art museums were going to be important if we were going to have great cities, right? along with parks and universities and all the rest of it, but that, um, that art museums were a, a reprieve from the day-to-day, -day, right? A place to get educated, a place to enjoy yourself, a place to be inspired. And certainly in the case of this museum, and most of the big museums founded in the 1870s, they're all thinking very deliberately about the role of great works of art and great examples of works of art in the training of designers for industry. Well, going back to to your arrival here, you look around, it's, a, it's an institution with a, a great history. What did you think needed to be done? Where did you see this museum on in sort of its evolution and where did you want to take it? I, I'll say a couple of things. One is that there had been a longstanding desire to expand the museum. And uh, I think that had been, well, I had one person tell me that that goes back to the early 1960s, uh, which is hard to believe, you know. Uh, but, but these major projects do often take quite some time uh, to get off the ground. And the, um, so that was an initiative that the board was extremely focused on, the notion that they did want to expand the museum. I thought that was right. Um, there were certainly collections that were not on public view that merited being on public view. Um, that is the primary function of an art museum, right, is to make great art available to the public. This museum does that beautifully. And uh, so the expansion, as you found, as you see, or as you've seen, um, is really um, primarily about space for the display of art. And secondarily, about public amenities that were not much present in the 1904 building, which, of course, uh, was built for a different time and a different purpose. So that was one thing. The other is, I think this is a museum that uh, maybe had had its light under the basket a little bit, you know? A wonderful place that everyone knew for its incredible holdings of Max Beckbond and not much else. And so I thought it was really important to engage the museum more robustly in, in the national and in particularly in the international uh, community of art museums, uh, because there's no reason that this museum can't be co-organizing exhibitions with the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and uh, preparing things that travel to the National Gallery in London. And we certainly have been lending to those organizations for years. Uh, we've been borrowing them from year. They've been borrowing from them for years, and I didn't think there was any reason why we shouldn't be participating and collaborating with them. And that's been one of the real pleasures of my time here is to really um, internationalize the connections of this institution in a professional 
kind of a way and to, uh, you know, to share a project organization with some of these organizations to prepare things here that travel there, you know, as a package and to borrow things, you know, uh, as packages from those entities. And um, that's been, so that's been a real pleasure for me um, to do. And it's been wonderful to see, you know, this art museum really be an international presence. Do you have a favorite piece in the collection? Now that you're leaving, you can say. <laughs> no. Or, or if not, what are some pieces that you find yourself revisiting just personally to recharge, to have a moment to think? Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things, I'm going to divert that question and tell you about the object of the day, which is a online initiative that we launched right after we were closed in uh, mid-March. And that uh, provides the museum's members uh, with an email, if we have their email, every day with one object and uh, with a small interpretive text like you would see on a label in the galleries. And that has been a wonderful way of keeping the museum in people's hearts and minds, you know, during the shutdown, particularly when we were closed, to remind them of the incredible treasures that are here and to give them a really good sense of the diversity um, of the collection. Because I think when we go to museums, we tend to go to see our favorite galleries or our favorite kinds of things, and we may not give other things much attention at all. And I've had the most incredible response to that from people who say, well, I have never seen that, or I've seen that a million times. I recognize it. I walk by it every time that I'm on my way to something else. And now I'm going to stop and take a look. Uh, so I think that that really goes in a way to how I would answer that question, which is to say that different kinds of things are interesting to me at different times, right? Uh, it's always interesting to me to wander through the galleries and to, th and to see what I stop at, right? I'm usually, you know, uh, I'm usually heading in some specific direction for some specific reason, but different things catch my eye all the time, and it's constantly changing. You know, the curators are changing out objects and cases and paintings on the walls all the time. And um, so there'll be things that I've never seen before that have come out of storage. So that's been really, really, really satisfying and really fun to see how they rethink their ideas as these, ex as these sort of installations live over time. That's Brent Benjamin, director of St. Louis Art Museum. This is Cut and Paste, and we'll be right back after this one little message. Welcome back to Cut and Paste. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. When the pandemic struck, you've, you've heard of that thing, the coronavirus pandemic. When that started happening, uh, the St. Louis Art Museum closed down in March like everybody else and opened up relatively quickly in mid-June and has kept going from there. Now, Brent Benjamin is not just the director of St. Louis Art Museum. He's president of the American Association of Art Museum Directors, and he really understands the interrelationship of museums around the country and around the world and how the condition of one museum can affect the condition of another one. So when I talk with him about how the pandemic is affecting St. Louis Art Museum, he connected the dots between SLAM and its brethren around the world, and he revealed some unexpected impacts that are going on right now. So first, I just I asked Brent Benjamin how the museum is doing financially right now. One of the things that has become quite apparent is that museums that depend on earned income to a great extent, have really been damaged because 
the primary component of earned income is an admission fee that people pay at the door. And of course, when you're closed, none of those fees get paid. But the staff salaries continue to be paid and benefits continue to cost you money and the utilities and all that. That doesn't go away, right? Um, we're free thanks to the support that we receive from city and county taxpayers. So earned income has never been a large component of our support. But the museums, for example, um, in the coasts, you know, on the west coast and the east coast, mostly uh, charge admission, hugely damaged by being shut down for three, four, five, six months. Some aren't even open yet, right? So that is, that is uh, hugely concerning, and the amount of money that has been lost, um, and you've seen the articles in the paper, is really um, enormous. So we were, for, we were fortunate that that has not been a huge impact on us. It's had some impact, but it's an impact that we can manage. The second challenge has been tourism, because there is no tourism. And if you are a museum in Manhattan, you know, 70% of your visitation is tourist. All of us are realizing that whatever component of our visitation we would define as tourist, uh, that that isn't coming back anytime soon. And when it starts to come back, it's going to come back slowly. Are local people overrepresented in SLAM's constituency compared to museums and others? Yeah, we're about the opposite. You know, Museum of Modern Art and the Met um, both have uh, their, their tourist uh, percentage is about 70%. And ours is down by ours is the opposite. It's twenty-five to thirty percent. The other thing is that their tourism is mostly national, international, right? And almost hundred percent, almost hundred percent of the tourists come by plane. Our tourism is heavily regional, um, and virtually all of them come by car, right? So it's a very, very different dynamic, particularly when you have the concerns about flying. Uh, that are out there now. But people can still get in the car and come to St. Louis and go to the museum, right? So. So I think that's a real concern because it's systemic. And so when you see these organizations suffering, those are our partners, right? Those are our partners in terms of loans. Those are our partners in terms of exhibitions. And when they are suffering, that means that we are going to suffer too, right? And if we're not suffering financially, um, I am very worried about what the uh, exhibition dynamic in particular looks like because these organizations are not going to have the capacity to operate as they have in in the recent past. Are you talking about artwork circulating among museums? Exactly. And they've been laying off, you know, the layoffs are 20 to 30 percent, and I'm not sure they're done. And you just can't operate the same program that you were with 20 percent less people. Certainly, we are we have retooled our exhibition schedule around the complexities of shipping, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, I can tell you that we had a, one of our Monets was on loan to an exhibition in Potsdam outside of Berlin. And um, when everyone was shut down, they said, you know, what do you want us to do with it? And we said, just keep it, you know. <laughs> when, it's, when we can bring it back, we will. Well, uh, normally a painting of that value wouldn't travel by itself. It would have somebody accompanying it. Um, and in fact, in more than 30 years in the field, I've never brought a painting of that value back from abroad without somebody accompanying it. But we did, because it's the only way. So the uh, staff from the uh, museum in Potsdam, you know, uh, packed it. Uh, we participated with that. Uh, we participated in that on video. They accompanied it to a 
Frankfurt and they put it on the freighter and that freighter uh, landed in Chicago where it was met by us. While it was crossing the Atlantic, there was nobody with it. Nothing went wrong, so it's all fine. And no normally nothing goes wrong and it's all fine, but every now and then planes get diverted, equipment gets changed, things get offloaded. And that's when, you know, when you've got your Monet in the hold, you really want somebody on site to be an advocate. So you had a video call to sort of observe the, the packing, shipping process, yep. and that's something that you would not be doing, you would not have been doing in the past? No, that's not something we would have been doing in the past. Um, and so we had, of course, the Malay exhibition, which had, you know, 65 lenders from all over the world, right? We had Japanese lenders, we had lenders in Asia, we had lenders all over Europe, and um, we've just finished sending that out and not a single courier. And it all went off without a hitch. It was fantastic. Yeah, Brian, I think we've, we've all been figuring out uh, some different ways to do our jobs. Right. Uh, for one so, thing, I'm interviewing you from my living room right now. Yep. Um, and uh, some things, the, the debate is, oh, is this something that we're actually going to keep because this is a good change? Uh, do you feel like you found an efficiency there uh, with respect to sending artwork around? Or are you very eager to get back to having someone handcuffed to the uh, Yeah, to the, the answer is you can do it that way. And if nothing goes wrong, you're in great shape. Um, and if something goes wrong, then... It's a bit of a crapshoot. And um, I worry that that is going to start to have an impact on the availability of loans system-wide, right? Because people may be less willing to send the more important things, which are the things, of course, you want to borrow uh, at all. When you mail a Monet from Frankfurt to Chicago, I imagine they, they give you a tracking number. <laughs> well, you don't mail it, first of all, <laughs> right? But I'll tell you something else that's interesting about this. The other piece of this is that it cost us twice what we expected it would to return those loans. So we budgeted $300,000 and it cost us six. Because, and that doesn't have to do with the couriers, that has to do with the disruption to shipping. Um, and the lack of nonstop direct flights, uh, the competition for spaces on those flights. The fact that they, you can't even get a guaranteed price, you know, they won't know what the price is until the painting is actually on the plane. So that's a, I mean, that was an expensive show, but you know, when your return shipping costs double, that really has an impl implication. And that is, that's something you couldn't have planned for. Given that you are on a pretty secure footing, as, as I'm understanding it, what role can your institution play to the public in this particular time in history, during the pandemic, afterwards? How does the service that you're providing uh, become more or less important right now? Well, I would say that uh, the, the, the primary reason that we exist, which is to make great works of art accessible to everyone, that continues to be the reason to exist. And to the extent that people uh, seek solace in the museum, um, or, you know, take inspiration from these objects that in many cases are survivors of, of previous pandemics and worse, right, uh, over the history of the world, that does give one hope that it will not always be like this. So I think, I think there's that, right? Two is, I think it's a place you can go uh, that's a safe place to go that gets you out of the house or the apartment. Um, and God knows we all need that these days.
that's Brent Benjamin, director of St. Louis Art Museum. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this has indeed been Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. It is produced with help from our executive editor, Shula Newman. Our intro and outro music is by Eric Hall. And you can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>